Praise the Lord. But I'd like to share a little bit with you tonight, you know, that we're taking the time this year, uh, just to recap a little bit, we're talking about the um, being able to come into the place where not only do we understand what the blessing of Abraham is, but really being able to grasp it uh, purposefully in each one of our own lives. I think the worst thing that we could do is find out what's available to us if we don't first find out how to get it operational in our lives. I've noticed that the, we talked a long time ago about the frustration gap, you know, the way it should be and the way it actually is. The higher that is, the further that is apart from one another, the more frustrating life is. You know, the worst thing you can do to a prisoner stuck in a cell is show them all kinds of pictures of what's going on outside, right? And so uh, that's, I don't want to do that. I want us to take the time, if you're okay with me doing this, I want to take the time. I really want to just discuss, let's have a talk about what could possibly be hindering us from our understanding of these things, right? When you go through the blessing of Abraham, the blessing of Abraham is extraordinary, Right When you take a look, even at, you know, if you, just an example, Luke 15, 31, beloved, I'm with you always and all that I have is yours. That's God speaking in the metaphor. But sometimes it's so crazy to be able to understand that is actually God talking to us, that there is nothing that would be withheld for all that I have is yours. That's an easy thing to say. It's a very different thing to be able to get that in such a way that it, we believe it to the degree that it manifests in our lives. And so that's kind of what our point is here with discussing the blessing of Abraham, but first discussing some of the things we need to be aware of that when we do start studying the blessing of Abraham, that it doesn't seem so unrealistic, so unbelievable that it becomes unbelievable. And that's oftentimes when we're relating to God, when we're relating to his ways, we certainly think it's okay, God can heal a headache, but can he raise a dead person? Right. You know, that seems, it's not different to God. Who's it different to? It's different to us. Our ability to believe that's possible is very different. And so that's what we're kind of talking about right now before we jump into this discussion about the blessing of Abraham. And so you know that we've been here and we've talked about one of those places, Matthew chapter 13, it says that, you know, seeing you don't perceive, hearing you don't understand, that your, that your eyes, as he, it says their eyes, but your mind grows dull. Can you take, figure out what's going on with that before? It drives me nuts. Um, that, that, we, that our minds become dull. And the reason for that is an understanding of how the human soul actually works. When we understand how the human soul works, like what is our anatomy? What happens in the believing process? And then we can be well prepared for when the revelation does start coming our way, when the seeds start being released to us, we're there with our catchers up and we catch them all and then we know what to do with them to get them planted. We know what to do with them to get them to grow, to get them to produce fruit and then to get the harvest done. Every level of it, needs to be discussed so that we become wise farmers, people who know what to do with the seed. And so we talked about at the beginning that we have a predisposition as humans to reject things that are different from what we already believe to be true. And they go like water off a duck's back. So you could say something, if I believe it, then I agree. I'm amening you. Yes, that's right. That's right. If I don't agree with you, then you're a heretic and cult leader. And so I'm going to reject what you think and what you say. That's just a normal way of a soul working. Then the numbers, the second one is that God speaks in a different language to us. We, God speaks love, faith, and hope. At first, we don't really speak that language very well. When we first come into the kingdom, we speak fear, dread, and selfishness. And so because we're speaking a different language, God is talking to us all the time but none of his stuff seems to make any sense to us because he seems to be answering us and answering the needs in our lives with the answer, the root answer, rather than the symptom answer. We're always asking him to fix the symptom. He's always talking to us fixing the root and we miss it, we don't understand. Then third of all, it's that seed time to harvest principle where you plant a seed one year and then two or three years later, there's a harvest coming up and unless we're super attentive to it, 
we're not going to see the connection between the seed and the harvest. So we'll go, I don't, I, I don't, know, I don't know why it happened. All of a sudden, it just started working. I don't, I don't know why. Somebody comes up to you with exactly the same problem that you used to have, and then they say, how did you get out of that? I, go, I don't know how I got out of that. <laughs> Wish I could help you. I'll pray for you, whatever. But, and there's no, because there's no understanding that this is related to this, right? right? And so then in the kingdom, there is not a, the ability to transfer that understanding to the life of another person because we, I haven't made the connection even myself as to how it happened. And then finally, we looked at it last time I was in the pulpit that the devil is intentionally trying to deceive us, that there is actually a work of deception that's going on in each one of our lives and particularly to the place where your calling or the place where you are anointed or gifted or called, there is an active work to get you, one, to be really wounded in that area so that you don't, have the, you don't use the gifting, or two, to get you to, to use the gifting in a way that does anything but benefit the kingdom of God or other people. What you do is you try to use that gifting to benefit yourself. And then when it finally gets so mature, you're up on level 92 and somebody says, okay, you need to dismantle that and go back down to level zero to start all over again. You heck no, that ain't happening. Because I've already used my God gift to do something just wasn't the thing that God wanted us to do. And so we can oftentimes get into all of these things that prevent us from being able to really uh, get the seed of the word of God into our mind, which is the beginning steps. Obviously, there's not an ability to believe if you don't even have the word of God on the issue that you're trying to believe for. But then the second problem is, yes, you get into an environment where you read the books or you watch the video or you get into the church or you fellowship with people that, are, that you can see have the fruit in their life to be able to answer your questions uh, and they answer them, but you know, for some reason didn't land. And so we want to talk about tonight, uh, just as a final, I'm going to try and finalize all of that uh, to, to, to this evening so that we can kind of move on to sort of the next level of understanding, but that may, may not happen, so pray for me. So the, the number one the thing we want to talk about tonight is how can I believe when? And now it's the when problem, you know, if God is such a good God and God provides for me, if that's the truth, then how do I understand the time when I couldn't feed my kids? Right. How do I understand the time when I went broke? How many, when I understand the time when I wanted to drive a new car and when all my friends were driving and I didn't get to drive a new car? What, how do I explain all of these problems that I have experienced in my life? Because all of those situations are real memories to me. They are real occurrences. If God is protecting me, then why did that person hurt me? Why did that person betray me? Why did I fall down and break my leg? Why did I get in a car accident? Why did, on and on and on and on and on. We have all of these real life experiences. I've got pictures to show you all of these things. You know, I was just with, uh, you know, you might know, uh, John Pecorero is now a grandfather. Hallelujah for that. But I was in, I should say Roe is a grandmother as well. And that just kind of works at the same time. Uh, so I was over visiting Alonzo the other day. And as I walked in, you know, there was just, uh, you know, the way they have sometimes with babies, they have a couple things to check out when they're, before they release them from the hospital. So they have them in these little glass incubator. I don't know if you've ever seen those things. You put your hand in through these little holes and you do all that kind of stuff to play with the baby for the couple of days while they're doing their, you know, doctor stuff. And, uh, you know, when I walked in, that was exactly a situation that I dealt with with Alex. Pastor Alex was in the same situation when he was first born. He was in that little boxy thing for a couple of days. And uh, so as soon as I walked in there, that memory was, well, I was right back to the time when I was the dad and I was going in there to see my son sitting in this little cubicle little thingy. Uh, those are real memories, right? That really happened. And I, we've got to go back then and we figure out how do we believe some of these things God is about to tell us about the blessing of Abraham, especially when Pastor Ian is going to tell you that you've had the blessing of Abraham on your life as a human being, access to that blessing from the very beginning. 
then if you do, how can I possibly believe that? When I've got thousands and thousands and thousands of thousands of really bad experiences that would absolutely prove to me that that is not true. You see, your soul is going to do that. It's going to want to, wait a minute, that's not true. Like if I were to go and tell you that this pen is, if I let go of this pen, it's not going to hit the ground. What's your soul, what's your soul telling you? If I bet you a hundred bucks, you'd bet that it would, you, you'll, you would? Come up here with your hundred bucks, right? You see, you know and I know that as soon as I let go of this pen, there's a hundred percent indisputable reality that says it's going to hit the ground. The reason that you have that is because of the experiences that you have. Right. Olivia may take my bet because she's not sure yet because sometimes she falls and doesn't hit the ground because there's somebody there holding her up. Soon she will learn that it works 100% of the time. What we have then is we have our soul and our memories and our experiences and all the things that have gone on in our lives that are going to try to refute the truth that says the blessing of Abraham is available, is always been on your life, and now it is actually a possession of your life because of your relationship through Jesus Christ. It's an active uh, a possession. It's in your bank account. And you would say, no, it can't possibly be in my bank account because the things that are listed in the blessing, I've had all of those things that are after the blessing, the cursey stuff. Except I don't think I've had a boil where they say they have boils. But other than that, I have about all of those things. So let's take a look, if you will. Go with me to John chapter 5. And let's take a look at this very similar situation As we watch it happening in somebody's life, and then you watch their perception. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and, the, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And now there was in Jerusalem, by the sheep's gate, a pool, which is in Hebrew called Bethesda, because it has five porches. In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for a moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whosoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. Now there was a certain man who was there who had an infirmity for 38 years. When Jesus saw him laying there, he knew that he already had been in that condition for a long time. And he said to him, do you want to be made well? The sick man answered him and said, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool where the water is stirred. But while I'm coming, another one steps in before me. And Jesus said to him, Rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed and walked. And that day was the Sabbath. And so sometimes we have a little bit of trouble reading this, but there's a whole bunch of understandings inside of this lame man that has come to him out of his, the traditions of his life. For example, the first one, how many of you know that there is actually a pool in Israel where an angel stands beside it, stirs the water, and there is a line of people, and if you happen to be the first one in after the stirring of that water, you, that you be made whole. No, there is no such pool in Israel today that is such a pool because it doesn't actually exist. What they were talking about here was a legend. How many of you know what causes little pools to make little waves and all of that kind of stuff? Does anybody know what causes that? Earthquakes cause that. And so there was an earthquake in the area, and they had developed a legend around that earthquake that says what the, what's actually happening is that there is an angel standing beside that pool, and then they believed because they believed the legend. And so because they believed the legend when the person would see the stirring of the water and the first person jumping in, they would actually get healed because they believed that they would get healed. They accessing the blessing of Abraham in their life, but only the first guy did. What happened to the second guy? He didn't get healed. Why didn't he get healed? Could he not have gotten healed too? Well, Jesus just proved that a minute later, right? 
But the second person could have easily have gotten healed also. The only problem was he didn't believe that. The legend did not allow for the second person. And we all know that God cannot be God because God does not prefer people. He does not say the strongest person should the person get the blessing, the person God likes the best, or the person who has a friend there that'll carry him in. God's not going to prefer people like that. And we misunderstand God, as did this poor man, when he tried to figure out what is God going to do in it and when. And he bought into this legend, this tradition that taught him something about the nature of God. And that teaching, that understanding, that was probably historic. I don't know when the story started about this earthquake ripple water thing. But that could have been there for a thousand years. And everybody passed on that, that traditional legend myth thing, and everybody believed it as the time went on. But you see, God is not like that, even though that man believed that he was like that. And you see, that's what happens to us is that when we have these experiences, and I'm sure after 38 years, somebody stepped down into that pool and got healed. And that, ref that made them validate the, the legend. It says that must be the way that it is. And don't bother whoever 40 other two of you that are waiting in line, you might as well go sit down. So they all went and sat down. Instead of somebody rising up and saying, well, I'm going to jump in too. Somebody's trouble up the water, I'm jumping in. And you see, what happens to us is that when we have these experiences, whether they're legends, people telling us the nature of God, or the way God works, you know, God's in control of everything, or, you know, maybe God allows everything to happen, or permits everything to happen, or maybe God uses everything for his good, all of these kind of things that are going to taint, at least, I mean, some of it is, you know, it's kind of true, but you really have to understand the nuance of the relationship that God has with this world in order to properly understand some of those statements. Yeah. Typically, what we do is that when we say God is in control, what we're actually saying is I'm not going to get it. God permits bad things to happen in my life. Well, he permits good things too, by the way, but nobody ever tells me about the good things God permits. He's always talking to me about the bad things God permits. And you see, we get it all messed up but we still have all of these experiences that are going on or they're building up in our soul. And we have to be able to deal with those things that are growing up inside of our soul in order to understand when God shows up on the scene and says, beloved, I'm with you always and all that I have is yours. We've got all these experiences that are gonna say, oh, that's just, church. That's just a preachy talk. That's, that's just, you know, we're just, we're exaggerating right now. In fact, we're not. The thing that what, what we are, which we're, what I trust we're going to begin to realize is that what the problem is, is that we have just decided to live at such a low level relative to what's available to us. And we just have to convince our soul that that's what's been happening so that when the season comes where God's releasing the revelation on the blessing of God in our lives, that we're the hungry, hungry hippos saying, give me more, give me more, give me more. I'm not pushing that stuff away from me, even though I can feel that my brain is trying to push that stuff away. I'm trying to reject it because it doesn't make sense with all the historical evidence that I have already amassed inside of my life about the way things actually are. You see, these things, what we've done is because we have, we have just come up and all of us in thousands of years of powerless Christianity, these explanations of God, you know, it didn't happen because God's in control. It didn't happen because God's got some grander purpose why you should live in a ditch and it's just serving some greater, you know, that's just all a way to explain the fact that we are living at such a low level of our human experience and we turn it into a religion, we turn it into a philosophy, we turn it into a thing that we are, to our own shame, teaching our children. This is the reason, because we as adults are not willing to stand up and say, I know this is not how it's supposed to be. Mommy and daddy should be better at this. We're trying as hard as we can to believe God in these areas, but I'm telling you, this is the truth, whether I'm manifesting it in my life or not. You see, if we have the ability to do that, what we're going to see is we're going to at least be able to let people know yes. that there's more available yes. to them. Yes, 
rather than convincing them from a very young age, this is all we're going to get till you get to heaven. You're going to have to suck it up down here because God created the earth to destroy us if it possibly could. And our best, our best spiritual experience is to survive the misery of what God is doing in our lives. Can I tell you, there's absolutely nothing farther from the truth than that. Turn over with me then to uh, go to Judges chapter 6. So let's have another quick look at, uh, at this exact same thing happening in this fellow. His name is Gideon. And verse, let's just start there in verse 6. So Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites, and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. And it came to pass when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord because of the Midianites that the Lord sent a prophet to the children of Israel who said to them, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I brought you up out of Egypt and brought you up out of a house of bondage and I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of all those who oppressed you. I drove them out before you and gave you their land. And also I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. Now God had sent out of the cries of Israel here, God had sent a message through a prophetic person to let them, to remind them, this is who I am. And verse 11, now the angel of the Lord came and sat down under the terebinth tree, which was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abizite, whose son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel appeared to him and said, the Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, oh my Lord, if, excuse me, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all the miracles which our fathers told us about, saying, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt, but now, Egypt, but now the Lord has forsaken us? How many of you know if it's possible for the Lord to forsake us? That's not possible. But his idea was that the Lord had forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. Who had done that? The Lord had done that, was his understanding of the situation. Then the Lord turned to him and said, go into the midst of yours and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? And he said to him, O Lord, how can I save Israel? And dad, indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I am the least of my father's house. And the Lord said to him, surely, what's God doing? Does this sound like, you know, a communication in your home? You know, back and forth, God's trying to convince Gideon that he can do this back and forth, back and forth. The angel is talking, arguing with Gideon back. Why is he having to argue? This is an angel. <laughs> He's having to argue the word of the Lord with Gideon. Why? Because in Gideon's mind, he's got the Midianites. He's got them coming year after year after year. He's got the stories of lack. He's got the stories of being overcome. He's got the stories of the hardness. He's got the stories of all, just his mind is full. And he's madder than a hornet at God. He doesn't want to hear any more of these God stories about back in the days of Egypt when he doesn't want to hear any of that stuff anymore. I'm sick and tired of talking about these great things God supposedly did. What's happened? You see, in Gideon's soul, all of this negative experiences have been built up. His perception of what has happened in the past has become tainted. He didn't see it correctly. And because we don't see the situations in the past, I see that I, I had to roll pennies to feed my children. God said you could feed your children. We don't see the same thing. My perception is rolling pennies. God's perception was, how do you like craft dinner again today? Now realize that's not God's best for me. But my perspective, as I'm madder than a hornet at God, was the wrong perspective. Okay. Let me show you wh what happens with our perceptions. How do they work? What are they? Right? If you take a look at what is going on in your brain, your brain is just the most amazing supercomputer that has ever existed in, forever. 
We have, we, we have got an, a, another million years before we can create a computer that can do what our brains do. What happens to us, though, is that when we are children, there's going to be two sides to what I'm going to talk about now. This is the children's side. Okay, this is zero to the age of 10, approximately. And that's very important because we're gonna, what, what happens in our lives, for some reason, very much happens in decades. Okay? And even the stages that you go through in life, they are very specific dec- uh, uh, stages that are easily, not necessarily by the day, but there's a season for each decade that you are going to go through. Zero to 10 is the season when you are just gathering data. And so what happens to us is we have all of this data coming in to our soul. We have not yet decided what all that data means. We're just gathering it. And then over the season, what starts to happen is that we decide that this particular thing, oops, this particular issue is truth. And so maybe I'm gathering data about money. And I'm constantly seeing how I don't, I don't have the nicest presents. I don't have the nicest clothes at, at school. I don't have new shoes. I don't get to go on vacation. I, and I'm gathering all this information as I'm observing the world around me. And then I decide that I'm poor. Because I've legitimately gathered data that proved that to me. And that data then gets put down in your heart. Or your, your, where, where, this place where we store truth. And the Bible says, as a man believes in his heart. So we'll refer to it as your heart. It's not your blood pump. It's your place inside of you. The core, that word means, the very core of your being is where you keep this very important hard drive that, that files all the things that you believe to be true. Once you get to be about 10 years old, you build what's called the shield of faith, which means, as it says, it's a shield that goes over everything you have decided to believe. Now, when things come that are contrary to what you believe, it's a shield, and a new truth will come, and it will bounce off. That's that first point, hearing you don't perceive, seeing you don't perceive, hearing you don't understand. Because God said, train up a child in the way that he'll go, and in the end, he will not depart from it. You will not get away from this subset of the things that you've chosen to be true that you have stored in your heart. Then what happens is as we get older, now we have two sides. We have an interactive relationship between our soul and our heart. And what happens is we have information that is still coming in, to our soul. But what happens now is that information is given into our heart as a what? Then your heart analyzes the what is happening. What do I see? What is going on? And it decides why. Or, better still, what is about to happen. So, we have data coming in. It tells us something. Then it, I give that data down. I figure out what is it that I'm looking at. I send that information down to my truth world. My truth world tells me, based on this information, this is about to, is about to happen. Then, because this is about to happen, I have all my responses that come based on what's about to happen, okay? This area here is my perception. So, I am determining through this process how I am going to interpret what's my understanding of what I am looking at right now. So let's take a look at the blessing of Abraham that we're talking about. 
then, you know, Pastor Alex shows up and he starts talking to you about the blessing of Abraham, that you'll be blessed going in and blessed going out, blessed in a city, blessed in a country, blessed in your storehouses, blessed in your wallet, blessed in your bank account, blessed over here, blessed over there, blessed over here, blessed over there. What do you do? You say, that's what is going on. And then that goes down into your heart and you know that I'm poor and I always will be. What's about to happen? Absolutely nothing. Do I get excited? No. Do I listen to after the first couple sentences? No. Do I do any homework when I get home? No. Why not? Because absolutely nothing is about to happen. That's my perception. And that's why I don't want anything with it. Now what God has to do in all of this, this is just the way every single person's soul works. They work like this in Gulu. They work like this in Fort Erie. They work like this wherever. Every human being's soul works exactly the same way. What God is trying to do in the New Testament, can somebody rub that board out for me? Maybe take a picture if somebody wants it before it gets taken down. What God wants to do then is God wants to interact with you and I about this process. He wants to begin to force a hole in this whole process here. So really the issue that we're dealing with is an issue of trust. I know how gravity works because I've tested it and I've used it and I trust it because trust is built on how consistent something is to its particular characteristic. And so gravity is 100% consistent to its characteristic of sucking me into the earth. When I eat too much and I get on the scale, the scale goes up. When I fast for two weeks, the scale goes down. It is completely consistent, measurably consistent. So we can trust in gravity. We know it. We know we can trust in that. When it comes the ability to trust in something else, how does my car respond on the snow? Well, sometimes I drive a car and it's front-wheel drive, and sometimes I drive a car, it's rear-wheel drive. Sometimes I got a four-wheel drive. Sometimes I got crazy four-wheel drive, and all of them respond differently. And so when I go in the snow, I'm not going to be a crazy person driving because I'm, I'm not sure what I can trust because they all work a little bit differently. The snow is different. The ice is different. Is there all of these conditions and the temperature and the, the layering of the snow and is there salt and is there, you know, all it makes it so many different factors that make the, the, the outcome different. And so you can't trust it exactly the same all the time. This is what happens with us as Christians when we walk with God. When we don't have a clear understanding of the way things are and why, then when we come to try to follow God, sometimes God says something to me, I act upon that thing because I'm expecting a certain result, and then the result is not there. Matter of fact, sometimes, a lot of the time, if you take that equation very simply, I do something in obedience to God because it's supposed to make my life better. And guess what happens? I know this hasn't happened to any of you, but your life gets worse. And what's happening to us? What's happening to us as thinking rational human beings is that we are learning to not trust what God is saying. Because you have to put all kinds of filters in it. You know, don't do, you know, got to be all oh, be careful here, or you got to, you know, God says to do this, but, you know, uh, but, you know, but, 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 and then after a couple of years with the Lord, it's like God said something, but you don't have to listen to that. Because it doesn't, it doesn't work the way we think it's supposed to work. That's the problem. It's God's, God is, how many of you know God's completely faithful to his word? There is no problem with God and his word. The problem is, is that we often have the Gideon understanding or the layman understanding or all of these other understandings of the relationship with God, the relationship with creation, the relationship with one another, all of these factors, we're not really sure how it works. And then out of our own pride and out of our own unwillingness to blame ourselves for why things are happening, what we do is we, kind of, we find other reasons and then we teach them to our children. 
and we become the agent of not thing, good things happening. Turn with me over to, uh, how many of you would like to know, but how much time do I got? Ah, you can't do this in three minutes. Where's Pastor Alex? Can I have another 10 added on to there? How many of you would like to know what the mystery of the New Testament is? I'll just wet your whistle. We'll do it again next time. But I'm talking the, capital V, mystery. Would you like to know what it is? The mechanism of the New Testament. Stay with me. We'll get to it next time. No? I'll give you a little bit of it. Turn with me over to Romans chapter 4. Now, this is going to be, the, and I'm going to, I'm going to have to take a lot of time with this because a lot of us think, matter of fact, I would say 100% of Christians in the world today would think that God wanted, God's objective in their lives, getting them to be Christians, is that they get to heaven when they die. And I have to leave that some time with you, you know, give some material for my cult leader accusing friends. That's not, that's not, that's not. Can I tell you something? Absolutely, you get to go to heaven. But going to heaven when you die, this is going to shock you, is not a major theme of the Bible. I just need to leave it there for a moment. Because what you have to do is you have to get out of the understanding that Jesus died on the cross so that my sins could be forgiven so that I could get to heaven. And that is true. It is going to get you to heaven. But that's not what he gave you that for. At least in God's merciful self, he should have then got you saved right before you got hit by a bus and leave you alone to at least enjoy the life that you have. Now, when we read the book of Romans, the book of Romans can be very confusing if you think what God is doing in the book of Romans, who's going up there, Tim? Me and you are friends, okay? (laughs) If we think as we read the book of Romans, that God is talking all the time about going to heaven when you die. And so if you take a look, let's just read a little bit here. In Romans chapter 4, what shall we say then? Abraham our father was found according to the flesh. And if Abraham was justified by his works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? That Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Okay, how do you understand that? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him for righteousness. Think about what you think about that statement. Most people would say to tell me, Abraham believed that Jesus died on the cross, and it was accounted to him to righteousness, so that when he dies, he goes to heaven when he dies. That's not what that says. I mean, it does say that as a very small piece of the subset, but it doesn't, that's not actually what that says. Now unto him who works, the wages are, counted as, are not counted as grace, but as debt, But unto him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, faith is accounted for righteousness. Listen, think about how this sounds so religious, right? The only place we talk like this is in church. But listen, but focus with me now. Watch these words. Just as David also describes that the blessedness of the man who God imputes righteousness apart from works. The what of man? Read it again. Say it to yourself. The what of man here? The blessedness of man. Verse 7. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. I thought you get to heaven when you die there in that sentence. Verse 8. Getting to heaven when he dies is to whom the man should not, God should not impute sin. No. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute their sin. Does this blessedness then come upon the circumcised only or upon the uncircumcised only? For we say that faith was accounted to Abraham for righteousness. We're going to unpack all this stuff. Okay? 
I just want you to see in that sentence there, heaven was not mentioned not one time. What the whole, if you take a look at, you know, Romans chapter 1, God is real. Romans chapter 2, sin is bad. Romans chapter 3, he's talking about how the relationship between the circumcised and the uncircumcised, one, following law, which brings a person to wrath. He says it right here in this, in this verse. Let's get there. Uh, for those who are of the law, for if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void and the promise made of no effects. Because the law brings wrath, for where there is no law, there is no transgression. Meaning, transgression produces wrath. And without the law, you have no transgression. And so without any transgression, you have no wrath. All Paul is saying here is that the reason that you have wrath being opposed to blessing, being the opposite of blessing, is not accessible to somebody who is of the law. Because if you make it something that you have to do, then when you either do it, you boast, which makes it unaccessible to you, or you don't do it and you're ashamed, which makes it unaccessible to you. So either way, what Paul is saying all through Romans now, we're already on Romans chapter 4, what Paul is telling us is the only way that the blessing of God becomes available to somebody's life, including Father Abraham, including the Jewish people who would be those people, not of the, of the, the biological heirs, but as they would be the heirs of faith as they access people like Joseph or people like David. Right? You don't see any place in Joseph's life when he's doing their Jewish religion in order to get blessed. Do you? The blessing of God, as you find out in a moment, is by faith that it would be by grace. Now, I'm going to unpack that stuff. All I need you to see right now is that the major theme of the New Testament is getting your life access to the blessing of Abraham. Your natural on this earth life getting access to the blessing of Abraham. Now, does it also include, as you, you know, probably my, my friends will need to know, it does also include when you draw your last breath, yes, you get to go to heaven, but your rewards in heaven are going to be based on how much you did for God and for the purposes of God here on earth. If you have no blessing operating in your life, you can't afford to get out of town. Never mind get done the things God needs you to get done. It's not just financial. It's in every area of life where you've got boundary after boundary after boundary, limitation after limitation after limitation, that your goal, that your plan, that the dream God has placed in your life, if you don't know how to get over those hurdles, you're just going to come and be a person who lives in the basement of the church, waiting for Jesus to come back. The blessing of God is a, is a, is a significant resource in the life of somebody who wants to get done the plan of God for their life. Getting done that plan of God is what you do to put treasures in heaven when you get treasures in heaven and finally get there to open the treasure chest that you've laid up there, now, as Joy has been teaching us, the rewards of that life are multiplied exponentially because you tapped in to the blessing of God and all the ability of that blessing on your life here. The mystery, the mystery of the kingdom of God is this Abraham hoped against hope what does that mean that means that all the stuff that I talked about earlier tonight all of your experiences all of that data that you picked up perceived, determined to be true all your life. Remember when it came out at the bottom here? You got your data coming in. What was it about? It goes into your soul, goes into your spirit. Your spirit determines what does it mean? What is about? 
to happen. What is about to happen is what the Bible calls hope. What you really expect. You probably know it as earnest expectation. We don't use the word earnest anymore, except as it would be the name of a person. What it means is what you really expect is going to happen. Really expect. When you sat on that chair that you're sitting on, did you expect it to hold you up or did you expect it to fall apart and let you fall, hit the ground? You've probably expected it to hold you up, but that's why you never thought about it. You just sat on it. But if the one last week fell apart, now you're coming in and you're going to check the chair, aren't you? You're going to give it a quick little, get Rob to come and sit on it first. Right? That's what you're going to do because the ex, what you had experienced before is now telling you what's about to happen. Do you see? And it's, and it's everybody does this. Every human being has determined what they think from the past is going to determine what's going to happen in the future. All of these things now, when God comes on the scene and he starts to talk to you about the blessing of Abraham, these are the things he wants you to expect are about to happen in your life. The problem is we got to do business with all the things we perceived in the past. Because remember, train up a child in the way that he'll go and in the end he won't depart from That's you. I mean, if you were a child one time, which I think most of you were. Then you've got these subsets on the inside of you. Remember when I said to you on Sunday, I think last Sunday, we did that long list of I am statements. And I said to you, I said, a lot of that stuff bounced back. One thing about being a preacher is that you know when stuff bounces back. Can I tell you, a lot of that stuff bounced back. I'm not, I'm not mad at anybody. We have the answer. But a lot of those statements, even in this church, are still in the place where it's, I don't really believe that. Because when you believe something, you say it differently. You, you have a different spirit to you when the words come out of your mouth. Does that make some sense? What we want to be doing is when we can say, I'm blessed going in and I'm blessed going out. And I'm even blessed when I'm turning around, going from in to out. I'm blessed in the country. I'm blessed in the city. I'm blessed in my bank accounts. I'm blessed in my storehouses. I'm blessed. I'm blessed. Then that should feel a certain way. Just like it's like, how's it going? Oh, you know, same old. That's what you really believe. What's going on this week? Oh, you know, nothing. How you doing? Well, you know, a little bit more month than money. You know how it is. Yeah, you know, my back's killing me. You know, you got, you're so, we're so, we are so aware of those things. And they become part of our speech because it is actually our expectancy. You know, I'm working on 60, you know, I'm 50, how old am I? I'm 50 something, 57, thank you, Michael. And so I'm working on my speech for when I turn 60. Right, so I'm, what is my speech about? Yeah, I'm, I'm reaching the halfway mark, yeah. I'm finally getting to the good half of my life. And you see, that's, I can feel it coming out of me. I'm not boasting. This has nothing to do with boasting. People think that that's what it is, arrogance and boasting, and all. it's not. It's you start thinking about the fact that I'm really looking forward to this half of my life. This is the good half. This is the grandchildren half and the great-grandchildren grand, great half. This is the, you know, I can tell everybody else what to do half, you know, all those kind of times. But you see, it's, that's what has to start. That's, what, that's how this feels, you know. So it feels like if you're going on vacation tomorrow and I ask you what's going on tomorrow, you're going to be overwhelmed with our excitement about what's happening tomorrow. Because it's an expectancy. It's really going to happen. Rather than how are you? Blessed are the Lord. You know, blessed, highly favored. Yep. Yep. Blessed, blessed, blessed and highly favored. Yep. Believe in God. Yep. 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 That's me. Believe in God. Because it's not an, you can feel. See the difference? You can feel if there's a real expectancy there. What we're going to study, at least in this first portion, is we're really going to look into how does expectancy get changed? Because the issue we talked about tonight is those things that happen to you, 
were really the things that you perceived happened to you. That's not really what happened to you. But, no, it's, I'll deal with that better another time. But those are real perceptions. They're real memories. They're real things. And they're going to be hurdles that you have to overcome when we start talking about the blessing of Abraham and letting that get all the way from words being spoken out here to a tree that is now bearing fruit inside of your heart. Automatic, by the way, fruit in your life. It's not even, as we saw, just saw here, it's not even something you work at. You work at going, the blessing works at empowering you to overcome as you go. It isn't work. It's by grace. It's a gift. All it needs to do is become real inside of your heart, a real expectancy that you wake up with every morning. And then when that starts to happen in real life, you'll see it happen in, in actual manifested form in your life. That kind of sounds crazy. I know it sounds crazy. The only problem is not crazy. It's the truth. Put your hand over your heart. Yes. I think you've been talking a lot recently and I'm about this idea, or at least I've heard this word um, lately, you know, this thing about be, being our authentic me, coming to that place of authenticity. And I feel like in the goodness of God, you know, he's so good to uncover, you know, when he makes a promise, he makes good on his promises. So when he declares blessing over a year and over life and over people, he has to dig this stuff up. And so he, he has to come to the place where, of course, he's addressing what we believe. But the sad thing in a, you know, a church of faith, you know, Holy Spirit-led church of faith is that, um, you know, we've had those times where things have happened. And so here we're left with maybe needing healing and going through seasons of, because of the disappointment, you know, we're told to go to God first, to go to the word on healing first. What's our scripture? And because maybe disappointment after disappointment happens, we just over time stop going to God first. We stop going to the word first. And then what happens over time is that we deal with condemnation at first. We deal with a lot of condemnation because things aren't measuring up. That happens at first, but over time, our hearts get seared and we just don't go to God first anymore. But the problem with that is that we're not our child of God, Bible-believing, authentic selves. And when we're not our authentic selves, we can't access the blessing that's promised us because we just, we're, we're dull. And so we have put our trust, we stop going to God, we, so we put our trust systems. in other things, in counterfeit things, like we said at the beginning of the night. So in the goodness of God, he is having to address and uncover these things. So we understand, why don't we go to the Bible first? Mm -hmm. Why don't we have a scripture on healing? Why don't we have scriptures on or finances? even if we do, we can... Why don't we, we can really develop. believe them? Yeah, we can develop all kinds of systems, but the systems aren't the answer unto themselves. You know, I remember in our early years as we were learning finances, I was just thinking about this as I sat here and she's not here tonight, but I remember when you and I would go, we would regularly go to Kenneth Copeland conferences. Yeah. And I remember her belief in the power of seed. And, and she was believing God for money at that time in her life. This was Gloria. No, Patty. Oh, Patty, and she yeah. would get to our house before we would go yeah. to the conference yeah. because she needed to sow a seed into that ministry. And so she'd get the seed and drive to our house and make sure that that seed got into our hands so it got to Texas or wherever it was, Washington, that we were going because she got in the car, she got the seed, she got in the car, she drove to the house all of those things because she believed in the power of a seed in good soil yeah. that she would that that would produce in her life yeah. 
And so what we stop doing is we stop asking Holy Spirit, we stop getting in the car, we stop driving to the house, we stop going. I'm sure she's still No, no, I'm not saying that about her. I'm saying essentially that's the enemy's plan and device in our life is to get us to stop believing that God will do what he says he's going to do. Yeah. That settles the issue. And that's where we're going. Yeah, and it's the the it, the, the important thing that we we we're going to need the personal humility to be able to step into this as I said about, you know, even that thing about the 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 Bible is not specifically about getting to heaven when you die. It is about that. But that's not what most of the Bible is written about. Most of the Bible is written about how do we operate in the kingdom of God, which is the blessing of Abraham here on this planet, so that other people can see through our lives what our God is really like. And then when people see this is what God is actually like, because he sees God's personality in you, because the word of God has gotten on the inside of you, so you respond the way God would respond. And so they see a little bit of the nature of God coming through our lives. And the blessing of Abraham, obviously, from Adam to Noah to Abraham, on and on and on and on, God is always, and now in the first, the first part of the book of Romans, God is at it again. He wants to get the promise, the blessing of Abraham. What's that? that he will be the heir of the world. He wants you to become an heir, an inheritor of this world, so that your life can look like what Jesus' life looked like when he was here. Does that mean it's all about houses on the beach and Rolls Royces? No. I mean, Jesus dressed nice, and I'm sure that he, you know, was, was doing okay. But he was more interested in feeding the 5,000 than he was in his own lunch. And that's what happens. When the, when the principle gets in your life, then you become more prideful with the principle. And you use the principle to better yourself. But when the Word of God actually gets in you, it changes fear, dread, and selfishness into faith, hope, and love. It does that automatically by itself. And we become more loving because the Word of God is now more of our programmed DNA. And so not only does the blessing of God work better, but we become better people. We become more like Jesus because more of his word gets in us. Does that make sense to you? So our life is not just materially blessed. Because oftentimes, you know, you just because just you see a guy driving a Ferrari down the street doesn't mean you want to be like him, right? A lot of times we think he's a drug dealer anyways. It's when people see the character of God coming through you that empowers your generosity, that, empower, that empowers your uh, support and encouragement of their life, however that would look. That when they are sick or they are miserable or they are unlovable, you love them anyways. That's the nature of God. That's the Jesus touched the leper before he said anything else to him. He touched him first. See, you've got to have the blessing of God on your life when you do that. And that's what we're just doing. We're just going to take that and say, let's just focus on it so that it can get in our hearts. Take your time. Don't be in a rush. Don't try to pay tomorrow's bills with the blessing of God. Go to work. Because it takes a season. Right? Be cool. I've got to cut down the trees that are wrong and then plant the seeds of what's right. And then we got to learn, how do I get that seed 30, 60, and 100 fold working? Put your hand over your heart and say, Lord, I'm getting it. 
Holy Spirit, thank you so much for helping me make sense of God's love for me when it looked like he forsook me. How God provides for me when it looks to me like he's stingy. When I understand that God protects me, but it seems to me like he left me out with the dogs. Holy Spirit, I'm gonna need you to re-understand how God has always been there for me. He's always fought my battles. He's always gone before me. He has always provided for me. He has always protected me. My life has always been blessed. God is about to show me how to exponentially increase the blessing of God intentionally in my life so that my life looks more like God is in it. My life is more a witness of his love, his provision, his protection. My life overcomes every obstacle, overcomes every boundary, overcomes every limitation between me and the fulfillment of the dream God put in my heart. I know that's the truth. I'll live out of that truth and the blessing it creates for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name.